So there was never a barrier. We were all like one people. Just be yourself. Don't say, well, is this appropriate for my age? Do it. We all have our hopes. We all have goals. But if my hope includes your goal with my goal, if we can find some camaraderie, then let's do that and work together. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, and along with my co-host, Doug Robinson, who resides in the village at Sandalwood Park in Brampton, we're just so grateful to be connecting with you here today because we're focusing on connection, family, and service, what Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences are all about. Our guest today, Joyce Stankowitz, formerly of New Hamburg, now lives in Waterloo at the Village of University Gates, and we are so pleased to have her with us. In addition to her own achievements in communications and as a mom of four sons and grandmother and great-grandmother, Joyce has a unique but very much needed set of skills and has shared them since moving into the village in October of 2021. Her husband of seven decades, Bill, a man of letters, a teacher and department head with a master's degree who once had what we can only call a beautiful mind, is living with a disease that many are just now becoming familiar with thanks to the recent disclosure of a Hollywood star's family that he has it. So join us as Doug and I welcome to the Green Bench Joy Stankowitz as we get set to have a chat about the buddy system, caring for a loved one with dementia, and the importance of forgiveness, humor, and memories. Well, Doug, how are you on this fine day today? I couldn't be better, Aaron. <laughs> I got a smile on my face. <laughs> for the whole human race, like it's almost like being in love. Oh. Please don't ask me to sing because I'm tone deaf. <laughs> Do you dance at least? Oh my goodness. Well, it's lovely to have you with us today. And oh, we know from Dance Partners, our guest today, as I mentioned in our introduction, has been married for 70 years. And of course, when you have a 70-year marriage, you have to start by asking how it all began. Do you want to hear the little love story? Oh, heck yeah. Are you kidding? Okay. Well, I was a little Mennonite girl that went to Rockway and uh, then quit high school before I graduated because at Rockway, if you didn't get 70% in everything, you failed the year. And I had over 70 in everything but math. I couldn't understand math. And uh, so I quit in grade 11 and got a job at a flower shop. And the first day that I started my job, in walked a, a delivery boy after school from KCI. And the lady that was teaching me um, about the flower shop introduced us. And the first words Bill said to me were, let's get a little closer here. Oh. So after that, <laughs> Um, he drove me home that night because he had to deliver flowers to Freeport Hospital. At that time, it was Freeport Sand. And I lived on a farm on what is now Riverbank Drive near the airport. And uh, 
We didn't date right away, but we did start dating. Actually, the first day we met was 70 years ago on March 28th. And uh, so that's always been a special anniversary for us. But we dated that summer off and on. And my mother, being a fundamental Christian, told me that um, she didn't approve of Bill because he was Catholic. So we were getting serious by fall. And uh, his mother had cancer, and she actually died December 16th that year. Mm. And uh, I said to Mom, if I wait till I'm 18, will you consent? And she said, I don't care if you wait till you're 21. I will never consent. Mm. So with Bill's mom dying, and he was such a caring boy, um, we knew that we wanted to get married eventually. So we decided we would get married sooner rather than later. So we married December 26th in 1951. That's incredible. Wow. Uh, I've never been sorry. Wow. Did your mother ever come around? Yes, years later. We used to take her to Florida after Dad died and, and pick her up. We'd take turns flying down and driving her home. And one time on the way home in the hotel, she said to me, Will you ever forgive me for the way I treated you? And I said, Mom, if I didn't forgive you, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And from that, uh, from then on, it was fine. How sweet. Yeah, well, she couldn't help but love Bill because he was such a loving um, son-in-law. Mm. And Dad had died 20 years before Mother. She actually died at um, Parkwood Mennonite Home, and she was in her 99th year. Oh, my. And she still had all her faculties except her hearing. Wow. She said, I could, I'll, I hear what I want to hear. And I said, Mother, how do you know if you don't hear it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds like all our spouses in a lot of ways. <laughs> Joyce, you received an apology from your mother. When you were young and married, Bill, she refused to bless the marriage. What did it mean to you? And what did you learn from that experience? Actually, it, it was a process, but it culminated in that discussion because we both had a good cry and a good hug. And from then on, I, I never doubted that she really did love me and, and blessed our marriage. It was really always over religion. Um, it wasn't over anything else because Bill was a wonderful son-in-law. That's lovely. And my dad and I were buddies, by the way. <laughs> when I was uh, wanting to marry Bill, he and I took a long walk to the river and talked about it. And he said, I will consent. He said, but don't ever come back to me and tell me it didn't work. Mm. And I, sa I said, Dad, oh. I don't think I ever will. And I never did. Well, let's talk, Joyce, about how that journey went forward from the girl working in the flower shop on her first day to the, I would imagine, rosy-cheeked flower delivery boy and your 70-year <laughs> marriage. So where did you go from there? Well, um, my parents had a chicken farm. And after years of having the chicken farm, which we lived in the front of the farm, of the, of the chicken house, actually, and that dad made it into apartments. And we actually lived across the hall from my mother. And she wouldn't even come and see my apartment. Oh. That's how upset she was. Goodness. But thank goodness my dad did. And he helped me set it up. 
So we lived there first, and Bill was very entrepreneurial, and my dad was a plumber and electrician as well as being a chicken farmer. And so he and and Bill um, built mom and dad a new home on the farm, and then we built at, at the other end of the farm. My sister later built at the top end of the farm. She's still living there. But we built and lived there for 49 years and raised four boys. Wow. And education played a huge role in your lives together, you and Bill. So tell us about that in your halls of education. Yes, Bill actually uh, graduated from KCI the, the year that we went together. And um, the uh, Walter Ziegler, who was the principal at KCI at the time, saw the potential in Bill because he was graduating with a technical degree. And um, th he, there was a driver training program there that had started a year earlier and wasn't successful. And Bill actually said to Walter, if I turn it around in a year, will you let me teach the driver training program? And he gave him permission. Bill went to the Ontario Safety League in Toronto and got his certification. And he taught that driver training program, and it became the model across Canada. Hmm. Art Sandrock, uh, who owned the funeral home, was a great proponent of the program. And uh, Or Automobiles donated a car. And uh, Bill taught over the years um, with the KCI program. And then when he was just 21, started Bill's Driving School uh, as well. And it became Town and Country Driver Training School. And he taught thousands of people. Joyce, can I share a driving school experience that I had? Certainly. When I came to Canada, I wanted to buy a car. But I thought, well, I'll just take a few lessons, make sure I'm good. And I booked my lessons. The driver instructor came and we got on the road and he said to me, why are you wasting your money? You know how to drive. <laughs> so I said, well, I'd just like a few days to get used to the roads. And we went out. He even took me on the 401 straight away. <laughs> so anyway, I booked my driving lesson. I came out of the driving school and he said, turn left. I turned left and I drove on the English side of the road mm -hmm. and found oh. my tent. <laughs> I guess you would. <laughs> yeah, I turned left and I turned left on the left-hand side of the road. Oh. So it was money well spent then, wasn't it, Doug? Well spent. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, as I talk with you both, I am reminded of uh, our own family trauma in asking my dad to give up his car keys a few years ago. And Joyce, that was particularly hard for you to do with Bill to give up his car keys. And of course, the reason for that as well. So let's veer into that lane, if mm -hmm. we may, and tell us about your husband and your life with him now. And I should mention, too, as we talked about education, that you have a communication studies degree. Bill has his master's. But let's go back to taking away the car keys and what necessitated that. Could we, yes. we talk about that, please? Well, um, that, that was the low point, I think, of um, the dementia journey, because we knew four, four years ago was when I um, realized that something was happening to Bill mentally. 
And with our family doctor uh, in New Hamburg, uh, who took me seriously and booked um, an appointment at St. Mary's Hospital to have the test done, and they were very thorough. Um, the specialist there had an MRI done, a head scan, and um, booked Bill with Dr. Elizabeth Finger in London, who is a guru in this area. And so we went to London, spent a day with her doing tests in various departments, and she's the one that told Bill, I'm going to have to um, have a test for your driving because he, she said, I think that maybe you shouldn't be driving anymore. And when he did have the test here locally in Kitchener uh, through Dr. Didick, who then became his specialist locally, um, he had the written test and the driving test that they do for seniors, mm -hmm. and he failed both. Mm. And that was, I think, the lowest point up to that point. He came home and cried. Oh. And, uh, That's so he, sad. Yeah, he never drove after that, of course. He became my instructor when I drove oh, for heck a while. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was, you're going too fast or, go, or watch this and so on. <laughs> now he doesn't say anything, thank goodness. Did he put his hand on your knee while he was driving? Nope. <laughs> that was a no-no. Good. <laughs> so now let's talk about where you are now physically, of course. You are there in the village at University Gate and right. making improvements and supporting your husband. You've been very vocal about Bill's dementia. And you wrote a couple of articles which were really poignant and informative. But what you're talking about is something that has, in the last few months, come into the public consciousness, and that is aphasia. And when mm -hmm. the actor Bruce Willis, his family came out and said, yes. Bruce is stepping away from films. And then we start learning that he had been, you know, showing signs of this on sets for the last few years. Aphasia, aphasia, aphasia. And people are looking mm -hmm. it up. And the New York Times is writing about it. You've known about aphasia. So tell us what aphasia is in your family and what it has done and is doing. Would you please, Joyce? All right. Well, what he was diagnosed with is Primary progressive aphasia, non-fluent. If you Google that, it'll tell you exactly the type of uh, aphasia he has. Your ability to speak deteriorates, um, your thinking sequence, and eventually more motor skills. Right now, he's not too bad, except he cannot say more than three words mm. at this point. And his sequencing is really getting worse. Um, he can't dress or undress himself anymore. He can't go to the bathroom at night without my help. And uh, he, I only get two or three hours sleep at a time because every about every three hours he gets up. He's been wearing a CPAP um, because he has sleep apnea, which he was diagnosed actually in about 1998. Mm. And so he's had a CPAP ever since. So now he can take it off sometimes, but he can't put it back on. And if he doesn't put it back on, he snores. <laughs> so um, I am allergic usually. And if, if not, when he comes back to bed and snores, I get up and put the CPAP back on him. 
but lately, lately he can't even shower or shave himself. He has trouble even sequencing and eating and drinking. And he does have some stubborn incidences, and I know he doesn't know he's doing it, but he'll just stand rigid and say no, mm. or else he'll go to put his coat on and think he's leaving because he's going somewhere. And sometimes when he gets upset, I know that I shouldn't, but sometimes I end up, when I can't hardly dissuade him, I end up crying. Oh. Um, but that hasn't happened too often. Joyce, can I share a little bit? About my wife, she has dementia too. Oh, does she? She's had it, yes, she's had it for the last five years. And we used to play Scrabble in the wintertime, in the mornings and in the afternoons. And then all of a sudden, she lost the wheel to play. She couldn't spell anymore. And uh, then she started throwing valuable things away into the garbage. <laughs> and... It was very hard at first to understand what was going wrong. And like you, I took her to the hospital and we had tests done. And now she's in another nursing home. And I haven't seen her for over two years now. Oh, my gosh. And it's so sad. And I, my heart goes out to you, Joyce. <laughs> it really does. I know what you're going through. And thank you for letting me tell you that story. Yeah, no, I I empathize with you because it isn't easy. Um, but I think we're in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, because friends of ours were going to move here and brought us here last fall. Um, and they were going to move here. And I hadn't even heard of University Gates. And yet I've lived in Waterloo Region all my life. And so I was the one that got excited about it. And uh, I came in and made an appointment with Sahar, which I think is just a wonderful advocate for University Gates. And she explained everything to me. We had a big home uh, in Stonecroft in New Hamburg, over 3,000 square feet. But it became a real burden because Bill couldn't do anything anymore. And... Uh, the, the last year, uh, when he was raking leaves from a magnolia tree, instead of raking the leaves on the ground, he was pulling individual leaves off the tree. And I, uh. I said, Bill, you're supposed to rake on the ground. And he said at that time, I do this every year. Well, he, of course, he never did. But after that, I, I couldn't have him do anything inside or out because he wouldn't he, his sequential thinking is compromised. And a couple times he wandered from Stonecroft, which is on the left side of the highway. He went across the busy highway Ooh. to visit a friend three miles away. Oh, my goodness. And twice ended oh. up there. And, and I was looking for him with my car and everything. So um, uh, if he had been hit, he wouldn't have had any identification or anything. And that's when I thought we can't live in a house anymore. Yeah. Tell us about the transition then, because Doug points out he and his wife are in separate facilities. You have made the very conscious decision to be with your bill. And as you've explained, the challenges grow day by day. But mm -hmm. Joyce, the whole decision to do this, and you said it was really quite quick. Tell us about well, that. Well, it was. I've always been one the thing that I mind the most is procrastination. <laughs> I say it's the thief of time and the robber of self-respect. And I've always been one that was proactive, 
And when I made a decision, I followed through. So when I did have my initial meeting, I knew this was probably the best place for us to be because it's a transitional place. And uh, Sahar had told me it could be up to a year before we could get in. So I have a niece that's a, a realtor and it does high-end homes. And I had her put the home on the market. And uh, when the first people came through, she didn't even have to market it. And they bought my home and Sahar called and said I could move in in a month. Oh. So my uh, we moved here on the 23rd of October and my house sold on November 6th. Wow. So I, I, I call that providential. Yes. Meant to be. It was meant to be. And uh, I look at it as living in a resort <sighs> because you have your own suite and you could go to a wonderful dining room for lunch and dinner and there's social life and lots of people that meet and um, that's when I decided I could help other people because a lot of people here don't have either the mental or the physical capacity to, to do things that need to be done, especially if they're widowed. And uh, we sit at, at the table with two widows, mm -hmm. one that we've known for over 60 years because we used to chum when our kids were little. Oh. And uh, I've helped both of them now make appointments for their hearing because the one I repeat everything twice and, and she does have hearing aids, but I don't think they're adequate. So I go with them to the hearing appointments. Uh, I not only make them because I'm very computer savvy, um, but I go with them and then I hear what they need. So um, I try and connect people. And I've done that even before I moved here, um, is try to connect people with the, the helps they need or to um, stimulate them. I've, I have a, a euchre group and a bridge group that I play during the day because I can only do that when Bill's not here. He goes three days a week to a day program in New Hamburg, actually. Um, and is he and a, a, another fellow from here um, that did live with us in Stonecroft, the two men go by, with a Kiwanis bus. Hmm. And they're bused three days a week to a day program run by Community Care Concepts. And it's wonderful for them. And for you. And that, yes, these get, that gives me three days to do my thing, both here and shopping or visiting friends. I still go back and play cards with uh, and have lunch with friends in uh, New Hamburg. Joyce, often some people complain, but do nothing to fix what upsets mm -hmm. them. Not you. You do something about it. No. How would you encourage someone to follow your example, and to get up and do something. Well, there are people that say what's happening and, and there are people that uh, make it happen. And I feel that if you have a problem, if you can't find out how to solve it, then get somebody that can help you solve it. Good advice. Um, and I guess that uh, is why I was asked early on when I moved here to be on the resident council, the Council of Neighborhood Representatives. Okay. So that's a forum for residents to bring issues forward um, and help University Gate staff solve problems. And um, so knowing that when I moved here, 
I felt there weren't enough supports initially to guide me as to where to do what and who to talk to. So that's when I thought of the buddy system. Yes, tell us uh, about that. Well, it's to connect a person who lives here and knows the, the routine with somebody who's just moved in. I've done it informally up to this point. Um, because if I see somebody struggling, there was one woman that didn't seem even to know how to use the elevator. Uh, and <laughs> there's one lady that comes out of her room on our floor with a walker, and she'll say, is it time for lunch yet? And she's usually about an hour early, so I say, no, no, you go back, and it's one fifteen, And then she'll say, okay, and away she goes. Aww. So it's it's helping people that if they need to go to the nurse's station, this is who they talk to. And, you know, a, a different things like that that they aren't clued into. And I find that that was actually even things in the apartment that uh, in our suite, even that some of the plugs, if you plug them in the top plug, they work with a light switch. Mm. If you plug them in the bottom switch, they don't. Right. Joyce? You had a book published with your mother's sayings in them. Can you share some of the sayings? I actually published two books about mother. One was called My Journey by Ada Sauter. She dictated and I typed. And she was amazed that I could type and I could move uh, paragraphs around because she could not believe that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I published a book for the family. We made 40 copies with pictures and the story of her life because she was born on the prairies, um, in 1914 and her mother died of the Spanish flu in 1918 wow. when she was four. And she then grew up with a stepmother that was very cruel. And they, she found out later that the stepmother had a brain problem and that she that's why she was so cruel she would um, lock the children in a, a cupboard and she would say she was going to the river to drown herself and so on oh, and mom's um, father was away all week because he built schools and so he wouldn't even be there uh, but there was quite a, a family and they ended up having two sons that were mother's stepbrothers and mother had to babysit, of course, because she was one of the younger ones. And so she came down east to meet her brother down here in Kitchener when she was 17. And she met my father and uh, married him about five months later. So she couldn't talk to me about the age. <laughs> I was thinking, not one for long engagements in your family. Nope. So with, with mom, it was never age. It was only religion. <laughs> Oh my goodness, the things that get in the way. But the the book that I wrote on Mother's Life with, with her dictating was, it's a real treasure. We made one for every one of the family and the grandchildren. And then I did one um, called Famous Quotes and Quips from Mother Sauter and others. And so there are even nursery rhymes that she taught us as kids. And she was full of sayings. Um, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. Do you know I say that all the time? It's so true. Yeah, that's one of my famous sayings. And Samora, your mom's, what more of her wit and wisdom can you share with us? Well, she used to say, if you don't like the outlook, try the uplook. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, what else? 
uh, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. Uh-huh. That yeah. is good. And pride goeth before a fall. Mother used to say that all the time to us mm-hmm. because we'd come home and have a, an exam that we got 98 and she'd say, pride goeth before a fall. Oh. And I used to think, oh my gosh, mother, can't you be happy that I did this? But no, it was always the, not to be too puffed up, she used to say. Well, we're not wishing to puff you up, but it's just incredible the way that you are a natural connector and communicator, and you are so set on making where you are a better place, not only for yourself and your husband, Bill, but for everyone around you with the buddy system. And I wonder if we could end on this note, what advice you'd offer to somebody who loves and cares for someone living with dementia, as you and Doug both have that experience? Well... We do have a um, a weekly meeting here with with our spiritual advisor, where uh, residents can talk about their journey with their spouses, and it's it's such a, a a comfort, I think, to be able to talk about it and then to know that others share your pain. Yes, joy shared is multiplied; pain shared is divided. Exactly. And you put the joy in Joyce, and we are just so grateful to you for visiting with us here today. Also, our thanks to Laura Peters for helping to make this possible and for sharing your story. You have such a beautiful voice, a way to put this forward. And if I may ask, and I'm curious as heck, and I know our listeners must be, if you're married 70 years, can I guess that you're in your mid-80s? 87. Amazing. Bill just turned 90, and I'm 87. And we have four boys, uh, nine grandchildren, and 13 great-grandchildren. Oh, how blessed. And they live everywhere from Madrid to Ottawa to Peterborough to KW. Wow. (laughs) Well, thank you for everyone you have reached today. We are so grateful for this conversation with you, Joyce. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye, Joyce. Bye-bye. Thanks, too, to Brendan Cater for being at Doug's side. And, of course, to you for sharing this time with us and Joyce Dankowitz here on The Green Bench. Don't miss any of our chats. Just go to elderwisdom.ca and you'll be directed to where you can make sure you're notified whenever we have a new conversation. Of course, we welcome your feedback. You can post on Twitter and Facebook using the hashtag elderwisdom. Follow us there, too, if you'd like. Doug and I are so looking forward to our next chat with former Newfoundlander. Can you ever really be a former Newfoundlander? (laughs) June Campbell, as we continue our theme of health, caregiving, and support. On behalf of Doug Robinson, I'm Erin Davis. We thank you for sharing in these life stories, and we'll talk to you again soon, because your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.